Hello everyone, I'm your host Toko and this is my podcast, The Verse for That. Welcome, welcome back. And as you can tell by the title, we're going to be talking about the devil's tactics, specifically temptation. And this is a personal episode in terms of these are things that I have learned from the Lord personally. So hopefully they aren't too personal, that they aren't relatable. And you can kind of gauge something from the episode. So let's just jump right into it. I am going to be speaking mainly from the scripture of Luke 4, but there's still going to be a lot of extra information that's going to tie everything together and hopefully make sense. So yeah, I think when when it comes to temptation, we have to realize that it's a real thing and it's also a biblical concept, like it has been happening. And, and, and as we know, Luke is a is a gospel, is a version of the gospel, or not a version of the gospel, one of the gospel accounts, rather. And this temptation is happening to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if the devil can tempt the one who was uncorrupt and sinless and blameless, how much more can he do to us? And mind you, spoiler note, spoiler alert, sorry. Jesus didn't, didn't sin even though he was facing temptation. So... I think we can learn a lot from how Jesus handled this this kind of just this temptation this this like how can I put this I want to put it in a different way just this overall conniving nature that I feel like a lot of us get so caught up in and we don't know how to deal with them I just wanted to kind of help and just provide some tips and who can we learn better from than the Lord so jumping right into it i wanted to just kind of give some extra information and context to what jesus was doing so in luke 4 verse 1 i'm going to read the whole passage and i'll kind of give context as we go along so yeah it says the temptation of jesus starting from verse 1 then jesus full of the holy spirit returned from the jordan river he was led by the spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry verse 3 then the devil said to him if you're the son of god tell the stone to become a loaf of bread but jesus told him no the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone or in other versions they say men do not live by bread alone then the devil took then the devil took him and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time verse 6 I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and the authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Verse 9, then the devil took him to Jerusalem, the highest point of the temple, and said, if you're the son of God, jump off for the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you protect and guard you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone finally verse 12 jesus responded the scriptures also say you must not test the lord your god when the devil had finished tempting jesus verse 13 he left him until the next opportunity came so i wanted to read that first because i feel like i wanted to just kind of put it in your head to just 
kind of just tune it a little bit and then maybe as I give context context to things, it will make a lot more sense. And before we get into that, I want to just read as well from ver- from James 1 verse 12. And I'm reading this because I feel like before we get into this, it's important to realize that God doesn't tempt people. And you'll see now in the verse, God is not a tempter. That is not in his nature. Tempting alludes to us uh, an attitude of of being cunning and deceitful and God is neither of those things so he cannot tempt people and as it says in James 1 verse 12 God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation afterward they will receive the crown that of life that God has promised to those who love him verse 13 and remember when you're being tempted do not say God is tempting me God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone verse 14 temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Verse 15, these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Now, I think this is so fitting because James is essentially the half-brother of Jesus. And this is someone that grew up, I'm assuming, in these formative years with Jesus and saw him being a little bit not like the other kids, like genuinely not like the other kids because he was the Messiah. And so I think, humanly speaking, he would have had the most informed view of what something like this would have looked like. And to bring it back to what we're going to be discussing in in Luke 4, I think sometimes when we're going through hard times and testing, especially when we, I feel like just as a Christian in general, but maybe when we when we don't know how to overcome temptation maybe you're facing lust and then you're trying to avoid the sin and maybe you've been doing well for a season of time and then the temptation arises and you're like oh my gosh god is tempting me as the word is saying right now in James specific, specifically verse 13 talking about god's role in temptation it says that god cannot tempt anyone and it kind of goes back to what i was saying earlier that god doesn't have those attributes and He doesn't do the tempting. He allows it in order for us to patiently endure and to overcome them and receive the crown of life as verse 12 was talking about. And so I just wanted to kind of break that mindset that anybody might have, because I personally have had that like where, oh, God is tempting me. He doesn't want me to succeed. And it's such a it's such a bad seed that the enemy plants in us to kind of distance us from God and have this very bad view of God in our heads. It's kind of like when we want to be close with someone and we have somebody spreading rumors about them and you're like oh I don't want to be with somebody who does that that's kind of what the devil does with stuff like this including corrupting our view of God in this light of him being a tempter God doesn't tempt people and when we go back to the scripture of Luke 4 it said that he was full of the Holy Spirit and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness sometimes the Lord will will allow things to happen you know, sometimes you allow things to happen in our lives that may not be the best and the devil may have in seemingly have full authority to do whatever he wants. But it's mostly because he allows that to happen mostly because he wants us to grow in endurance and in our character. God is far much more interested in our character than our comfort. Like I know maybe if you've been on Christian TikTok, you might have heard this a lot, but genuinely he won't just let you be in a be like breeze through life in a in just a like a 
comfortable, problem-free kind of lifestyle, he will allow trials and obstacles to happen so that you can grow. And as much as they're horrible and they're painful, those are the, that, that's when you grow the most as a Christian. And so, sometimes suffering is the only way that we can learn a lesson, like genuinely, like we might feel like, oh, I can learn it in theory, but sometimes going through it is the only way we can actually overcome and break generational curses or break patterns of sin and um, just be a better follower of Christ because the reason why Jesus never really, I'm not going to say he didn't suffer, but he didn't go through testing the way we go through is because he was already blameless. Yes, he suffered here on earth. He was crucified for what we know and we know that he was crucified but that was for a completely different purpose and it was to demonstrate God's love for us and so I say this all to say that like genuinely God doesn't test us and I mean God doesn't tempt us he allows testing in order to build our character because we are sinners and we have very sinful emotions such as pride um lust unforgiveness and the only way we can get rid not the only way but one of the only ways we can get rid of that along with prayer deliverance and other things fasting is also to go through seasons of trial and testing and have the lord help us and that's what we're going to be that's how we're going to that's what we're going to be discussing in this episode of how we can overcome temptation not so much that i guess but also just focusing on what temptation can look like because in order to get away from temptation we have to first realize what temptation is so i'm going to be providing a few tips in the end but the main focus is identifying temptation and maybe identi- identifying temptation in our own lives and therefore then using the tips that are might that might be helpful to you in the end so yeah jumping right into it i think starting off with some context here it mentioned, it, it's mentioned that Jesus was fasting for 40 days in verse 2. It says, when he was, wait. Yeah, verse 2, it says, where he was tempted for the by the devil for 40 days. He ate nothing all this time and became very hungry. So, there are two types of fasting that can kind of understand, can help, can kind of help us understand why Jesus might have been fasting at this time. And I think... Overall, fasting is such a good way to get closer to God. It's not just dieting or skipping out on meals. It's a spiritual practice that allows us to forsake physical hunger to satisfy our spiritual hunger for God. And when people fast and genuinely fast, and in order to wrap your head around fasting, I guess some homework would be to read the the scriptures I'm about to be sharing as well as Isaiah 58, I feel like it's quite a humbling portion of scripture. But yeah, I think he could have been fasting for two, two reasons. Maybe to hear from God and to have God move because it would make sense in the context of what's happening in this gospel account. The temptation is happening right before Jesus' public ministry and this fasting period is happening just before Jesus' public ministry. So where I got this from was Esther 4 verse 16 and the context of the book of Esther and the fast it's a three-day fast typically was that Mordecai her uncle was 
you know, telling her about how one of the king's higher ups was trying to persecute the people. Um, then the 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 national the national the people that Esther and Mordecai came from, and he told her like, hey what if you're made queen for such a time as this and she goes into her inner chambers with her ladies in waiting and they fast for three days and this type of fast is generally no food no water for three days straight and the result of this was that that higher up of the kings got exposed for everything and he actually you know got dealt with and essentially the people didn't get persecuted and actually the reverse actually happened like i if i, if I remember correctly the people that Esther and Mordecai came from went to go and invade the land and you know it was kind of like a Uno reverse card moment so yeah I think Jesus could have been fasting to have God move in his public ministry and you know obviously get stay close with God and dis display a physical display to us a physical sense of what God and Jesus's intimacy looked like through fasting but I think in the context of what fasting looks like in the Bible, it could have been this, as well as to be marked and set apart. I'm leaning more to, towards this reason, you know, because I think it kind of makes sense in the context of things. But yeah, either or, it doesn't we don't really know for sure. And to be marked and set apart from by set apart for God, um, I've taken this from the example of Daniel 1 verse 18 to 21. And the context of this is that Daniel and Daniel specifically and all these other um, Israelite men were taken as captives and exiled to a pagan land. And the king wanted some, you know, big brained people to be in his council and his government and just wise, capable men. And he kind of had like this, boot camp if I can put it that way for these young men to train them in the ways that he wanted them to be and part of this was them eating what the king assigned for them to eat and Daniel was like no I don't want to eat this pagan food I'm going to go on a diet of vegetables and this is the Daniel fast if you're not really familiar with it it's typically spans over 21 days and this fast is not as intense in terms of cutting off cutting off food and stuff like that as the Esther fast but it's I think to me it's more symbolic of why Daniel was fasting rather than just fasting he wanted to be set apart from the other men and rightfully so afterwards after this training period happened it's literally st stated that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were had so much more aptitude and intelligence than the other men they were they were in a different realm of intelligence and that's why I say it was not just necessarily specifically because of what they ate or what they chose not to eat. It's just the symbol behind it to be set apart and not indulge in the pagan foods. And if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, it's very like lengthily discussed about what the people of Israel were supposed to eat. So it was an act of obedience to what God had outlined in, I believe it's Leviticus and yeah, Leviticus. And also just a way of being set apart and um, just honoring God and being righteous. And I think Jesus was modeling this in a different sense. But I think the idea is there to be set apart. And I think, sorry, I just got like a big distraction. Um, I think 
ultimately fasting is something that we do to honor God because Esther wanted to get God's help in the situation and honor him and Daniel more directly wanted to honor God by you know making an ode to the Leviticus law and the laws that were outlined in Leviticus and just to honor him by being set apart for him so I think ultimately we could say that Jesus was fasting to honor him so moving on I think being being tempted for 40 days is kind of insane because it's literally said here that the devil tempted him for 40 days and I think what that means for us is that sometimes when we are before we are faced with the big temptation you know the big temptation that's like oh I've quit the party lifestyle and then maybe someone close to you is inviting you out for a birthday celebration just a random example that temptation could be like, oh, I don't want to disappoint my friends. But then again, I'm a Christian. I don't want to be on that lifestyle. That might be a big temptation to us. But sometimes it's the little ones that might trip us up before we even get to the big ones. And it says that he, it says here in verse 2 that he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. And I think the devil, it just shows how relentless the devil is. Like he will pursue you, not in a righteous way that we're thinking, oh, I'm being pursued. No, he's hunting you down you're his prey and I think we should see the warning signs and I think it's important to to take note of what the devil is doing and trying to set up for you before he actually does it so yeah I think just be careful and really gauge what the devil might be doing because sometimes it might be little clues and little like little jabs at you that might hint to us to come in the future so I'm not saying do this in order to avoid the temptation, but just take note of it and be like, "Oh, I saw this coming. Let's put out the let's let's pull out the um the big guns. Let's pull out the board. Let's let's put let's pull out the word. Let's let's put on the form of God. Let's fast. Let's pray. And at least you ha- you would have had some sort of foresight, you know. So yeah, moving on. I think the first temptation, as seen in verse three, where he says, where it says. Then the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell the stone to become a loaf of bread. And then Jesus says, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. I think what that means for us and what that little version of temptation looks like is that sometimes the devil will tempt us with our immediate fleshly desires in order to forsake what what realm of what version of obedience the Lord is looking for, looking from us. And that can look like, just sticking to this example, fasting. I personally have had the temptation to cut my fast short because I am hungry and I don't want to feel weak. And that's a version of trying to satisfy our physical and um, immediate desires rather than thinking about the long term. And even though fasting is a kind of like a um, ridiculous example, I do think that even in our day-to-day lives, when we are living in a society where we're just in like this, oh, YOLO, do whatever you want, do what thy wilt, Alistair Crowley type of phrasing and lifestyle, it's so tempting to just forsake the discipline and the um, the obedience that the Lord has called for us to live by 
in order to satisfy ourselves because if everybody around us is doing it how much harder is it to go against the gradient and go against what society is wild, widely accepting and i think that's a real temptation and i really feel bad for my generation of gen z where you know wrong is right and right is wrong like what we as christians call to be unrighteous is something that is wildly loved and wildly accepted and what we show as righteousness people are like oh that's lame that's prudish that's whatever and it's so discouraging and sometimes the devil will thrive in that however jesus gives us the answer here he says people do not live by bread alone meaning that we don't just live by our immediate desires and in this case his immediate desire was the bread we don't just live by that we don't just live by what we're seeing right now there's so much more to life than what we're seeing right now and as christians we know that there's so much more than the physical bread there's the bread of life jesus christ that we have that we can look forward to in the second coming so i think keeping that in mind and and being able to think about the cross frequently like that's something that has really like changed my 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 life i guess was my mindset i'm not gonna say change my life it sounds very like you know advertisement heavy it just changed my mindset like thinking about the cross often and daily like thinking about what jesus was going jesus was going through and what what that cross symbolized like all these years of prophecy and just strife with mankind and all of it being ended by the most righteous person dying on the cross is something that I think about a lot and causes me to want to be with him and kind of miss Jesus. Like, I don't know if that's a common feeling, like one, like missing Jesus as if I've met him personally. Like, I don't know if anybody has felt that and um, experienced that personally. But like, when I think about the cross, I miss Jesus. Like what I've read about him, I miss him because of that. And I think being able to think about all those things and keep that in your head helps you realize that, we're just passing through like we're just passing through this life and there's so much more to come outside of this so yeah i would say think about the cross daily like that's a, that's like a mini tip i can give you know in terms of how to curb temptation moving on in verse five it says then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time verse six i will give you the glory of these kingdoms and the authority over them the devil said because they are mine to give to anyone i please i will give them all to you if you worship me now i thought this was a very audacious like first in the first example he's like oh if a son of man you know um you should turn these you should turn this bread this stone into bread and side note i forgot to mention this like the devil will use seeds of doubt to tempt you he did it in the garden with with eve he's like oh did god really say you shouldn't eat from this you know did he really say that he will use this seed of doubt i like to call it the seed of doubt because once it's planted and has roots to grow in you it can birth unbelief and therefore death linking to what we read about um in james 1 you know when sin is allowed to fest that gives birth to death i think also like the devil will use doubt and this kind of like doubting and un unbelief in God's righteousness because God meant the best for Adam and Eve. He knew that if they knew the knowledge of good and evil, they would die. 
it didn't mean physical death, but they would die spiritually because they they would have the mindset of, oh, we know as much as God, you know. And that's pride. Pride is not a godly attribute. Only God can handle what he knows because he is not prideful. So the devil will use unbelief in order to sway you from God from, from God, and also cause you to, to, to sin. Sometimes you'd be like, oh, if you're feeling like, if you, maybe if you're feeling like, oh, you know, I want to be with my boyfriend or whatever, or my girlfriend. And he might even say, did God really say you shouldn't, you know, fornicate? When it's literally stated in the Bible, when Jesus meets the woman at the well, like he calls her out and says, the man that you're living with is not, is not even your husband mean that it's not a right to do and people will people won't realize that that is a way of combating the devil i'm going to get into it a lot, a lot later um, quoting scripture and reading your bible in order to quote scripture in so that you don't have to fall into sin or be swayed by him because one thing the devil is is very persuasive he is more persuasive than a lot of these marketing people because he has been watching human beings for a very long time and he knows how we operate. He knows how to appeal to us. And so saying things that sound very controversial, like what we see in media now, side note, side note in the side notes, what we see in media now is not new. Like what we see, like Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 8 with yeah, nothing is new under the sun. What we see in media now, like the art of persuasion, shock value, sex sales, all these other things, these are not new concepts because the devil has been doing it for a long time with human beings. You know, the seed of doubt is something that we, I feel like people haven't really realized is a form of setting up, setting us up for temptation and setting us up to buy what the devil is selling. So yeah, I just wanted to mention that because I feel like, most of the time we think that, oh, this came out of nowhere. Uh-uh, we've been persuaded. We've been kind of like convinced to believe that these things are good when they're not. And it goes far back to the beginning. Like I said, Genesis 3. It's literally in Genesis 3. And I think we should be aware of that. And, you know, he might come in a little bit of a, in a little bit of a, suave way as he did with jesus and then now he becomes a little bit more audacious like we just read in verses five to seven i believe where he's like yeah i'm gonna give you these things because they're mine to give and it really got me thinking that like the devil is so audacious because this is the king of kings and the lord of lords and you're telling him yeah um I'm going to give you these things. These are mine to give. So, you know, I am actually so rich. And it's just so, like, audacious because he knows who he's talking to. But because Jesus has come in a fleshly way, he's re reasoning with Jesus like a human being. He's talking to Jesus like a human being. He knows who Jesus is. He knows what happened for him to get here. He has probably been seeing the people of the old testament write about him isaiah writes about his coming he knows about jesus but because jesus has come in his in his new form as a human being not new as in like oh jesus comes he rebirths in different forms i don't want to contribute to that but in, in a new form to him like a human in a human form because he was probably used to seeing jesus in a very spiritual form and here he is before the cross and everything as a human being He's like, oh, he's a human being. I can, re I can reason with him because the truth is that most of us, including people that we see in media, would fall right here.
And that leads me to how the devil, the second way the devil will, will tempt us is to kind of help us find shortcuts to our destiny. And not kind of, he will tempt us to find shortcuts to our destiny. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And his earthly proclamation to that was going to come. It was going to come after his three years in public ministry. He was going to be crucified on the cross. He was going to be mockingly put into a crown of thorns. And people would write, here, here lies the King of the Jews, ironically, those things would happen ironically, but those were, that was the most humbling way of showing that he was the king of kings and lord of lords. And it reminds me of 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27 to 29, which, spoke, which speaks about how God will use the things that are, not of, that are not considered good or important by the doing all this unconventional stuff that people didn't expect of a, of a literal king. And... I think because of that, sometimes I feel like people love glory and love the idea of being esteemed to a point where they have standards for it. And even to this day, like if we see someone who is popular and who is a popular artist, for example, and has, you know, all these brand deals and all these other things, we expect them to be wealthy. We expect them to live a certain lifestyle because that's the standard that they have for them. And the devil knows that people like that and sticking with like the whole idea of celebrities and like stuff like that. I have been like someone who loves watching pop culture and stuff like that from a distance, obviously. And it's so interesting to me that, you know, sticking with what I said earlier about how the devil will, will use, will, will, will use temptation to get us to a shortcut of our destiny. Some artists out there who are very talented people I'm not going to name any names. That's not my podcast. They will have this God-given gift, right? And they will not use it to honor God, number one. And that's what the devil was trying to do. He was trying to get Jesus to worship him, not God. But they will also not use righteous means to get into their destiny. And righteous means includes waiting because there's power in waiting there's power in waiting on god and people don't like to wait especially in this time of instant gratification where we're seeing more and more younger artists and people breaking out in the music industry at younger ages people achieving things that people work a whole lifetime to achieve at 17 16 years old and because of all this pressure and this you know drive for success hustle culture and everything people are getting more desperate, including artists, including people who have God-given gifts and um, things that the Lord has given them. And because of that, they they have fallen from the devil's temptation to not use those gifts for God. And number two, use those gifts and attain what God has destined for them at shortcut rates. And if you know anything about shortcuts, they do not work out in the long run. Like you're just thinking about taking a lap. Like if you've done any sport in your in your life, you'll know that typically, like if you do if you did basketball, because I did basketball, the coach will make you run like a lap. If you cut the corners, right, it sounds like, oh, it sounds good in theory, like to, to cut corners, like, oh, I don't want to run this lap. But in order to run, in in order to actually play play the sport with endurance on the court, because in 
in playing basketball, you are running up and down constantly. And that lap is training you to to build endurance and stamina as you run. And cutting corners is not going to help you on the court. And that's essentially what happens when we cut corners with God and what he has given us. We won't know how to steward those gifts in the long run. We won't know how to do them. We don't, we don't know how to perform them or exercise them in our in our own ministries because we did not I guess thug it out with God we didn't stay in the season of isolation or we didn't stay in the season where everybody else is getting successes up for you we didn't stay with God we didn't even talk to God when that was happening to us and I think like I said this is where a lot of famous people fall and they sign literal deals with the devil in order to attain a certain level of success appealing to pride appealing to status like what i was saying earlier about jesus and his um his arrival that public perception of you know esteemed people ruins our likelihood to want to stay in delayed gratification right like when we are sitting and looking at people and comparing ourselves to them we are likely to want to cut corners in order to be in the same boat as everybody else. That's why comparison kills joy, like genuinely. When you are in a season where you're comparing yourself to people and wishing that you had different things instead of being with being with the Lord, because being with God brings you joy, you're gonna you're you're gonna be one you might even be one of these people who might fall into the temptation. And so I think it was really audacious, like I said, for the devil to do this because Jesus' glory was going to come eventually. It was going to take a lot longer. It was going to take a whole three years. And in some cases, it was going to take 2,000 years for people to believe it. And even at that, the rate of people believing God is steadily declining. But once again, later on in life, one day, Jesus is going to prove himself to be the King of kings and Lord of lords. And that is a long time of waiting. And some of us don't like to wait. And that's where the devil gets us. When we are unable to wait, I'm including myself in this. Like there are certain times I'm like, okay, Lord, I want to, I want to do this. I want to do that. Like even with this podcast, I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord, I want to have more numbers. I want to have more listeners. I want to do this, but like, maybe I'm not ready for it. The Lord is trying to steward me in discipline, like uploading every single week and uploading consistently and, you know, living righteously on the pod and off the pod. Like, waiting with god is where we where we grow in order to be able to wield the gifts that he has given to us and if we're able to do that the devil will always find use that as opportunity to con you into thinking that he can give you your gift early you know give you this gift and give you the success that comes behind that with that gift all for the price of worshiping him. That's why in media we're seeing so much devil worship because people have fallen for this temptation. People have unfortunately succumbed to it and have are living a life of death. It's not too late. It's not too late to repent unless they genuinely want to live with, unless they genuinely like being demonic. But genuinely, this is why we see so much demonic stuff happening in pop culture and music in shows because people are giving the go-ahead for the devil to give them the shortcut to their success in order for them to in exchange for them to worship him so 
it does like like Ecclesiastes said, like Solomon was eating when he said that. Like he said, allegedly, I don't really know. I think it's Solomon. He said, nothing is new under the sun. Like people have been falling for this for centuries. So just to kind of gauge what we're supposed to do, we must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. It sounds very simple, but I think worshiping God and serving only him is hard because worshiping God is not just about putting up your hands in worship and sitting there and, you know, waiting for the chills and the goosebumps. Worshiping God also includes saying, no, I'm not going to go to this party. I'm going to worship God with my body. No, I'm not going to dress immorally. I'm going to worship God with my body and dress modestly. No, I'm not going to stay up all night and, you know, binge a show. I'm guilty. I'm going to instead spend the first hour of the day, midnight, to pray. Those are forms of worship and serving him is humbling. People think services like being on a stage and preaching and writing a book. Serving God also includes serving your neighbor because we need to love people like the way Christ has loved us. We need to display God's love through service because Jesus showed the disciples what servant leadership and what love through service looked like by giving his life on the cross for not just them, but us too. And right before he did that, he washed their feet. He knew what was going to happen. He knew that Simon was going to, I mean, Judas was going to betray him. He knew that Simon Peter was going to deny him three times. He knew that the world was all going to scatter, but he still decided to wash their feet. So many of us want the glory and the coming back to the people and um, appealing to people with the, our with the with the holes in our in our arms and all the other things and just being appear being proven right like oh I told you guys I was gonna come back I told you I was gonna resurrect again but we don't want to wash people's feet we don't want to be with the sick and the blind we don't want to be preaching and having people come to us for advice and all the other things we don't want that because it doesn't feel our pride it doesn't make us feel purposeful but in actual fact there's purpose in service that's when we learn about humility and we kind of get off our high horses as for the most part most of us people who don't go through it like people in third world countries or i'm in a third world third world country i'm just privileged to even be able to have wi-fi and have a good home because of all that sheltering we don't get to see what life looks like on the other side and therefore can lead us to have ignorance. Jesus was never ignorant. He could have literally said, God, I am done. I want to go up to heaven. These people are too much. I can't be having people touching me like this, like that lady with the issue of blood. I can't believe she did that. He could have said that. How many of us would be like, yeah, I want to go home. I've served enough. But Jesus, it's so many times in the scripture, it says that he, he healed the people in the town. People would flock to him. You know, how many of us would use... Oh, I'm just so burnt out. And burnout is real. It is real. But how do we overcome burnout if we're not actively exercising our worship and service to God? Obviously, those things need to be done in the right spirit. So we need to cultivate the right heart posture by reading the word. I know I've been saying this a lot, especially in my recent episodes. Read the word. Learn from people in the Bible. Learn from the people, Christian people in your life. You may not have Christian friends, but look at the people in your life. If you have family in your life that are Christian, if you have influences that, are, that you're following that are Christian, learn from them. That's how we build the right posture in order to be of service to God because 
I think once we have a, a humble mindset, we can shun the things of this world. When you genuinely worship and serve God, you couldn't care less for what's happening in the world. Like that's why I said when I was talking about pop culture, I say from a distance because a long time ago, not too long ago, I wanted to be famous so bad. I was like, yeah, I want to be famous. I don't really care for it now. I don't. I don't really care for it because there's so much more to life than saying people having pe- having so many followers, pe- having people like your posts and everything, having people stream your music or whatever. There's so much more to life than that. There's so much more to life than attention and having your ego fed. There are people that are suffering out there that need to feel the love of Christ. And how we do that is to worship and serve only him. Jesus said only him. Meaning that we have to cut down all the other idols. Including the idol of wanting to have fame or attention and all these other things. Those are not godly principles. So we have to cut them out. So yeah, moving on. I know I kind of went on on that for a while. I think... The third version of, or the the third form of temptation is the final form of temptation I'm going to be talking about. And this is found in verse 9 onwards. It says, Then the devil took him up, took him to Jerusalem, the highest point of the temple, and said, If you're the son of God, jump off, for the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up on their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Then when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Now, this is the most, I think, convincing the devil is, you know, he will use what you have been doing to tempt you to do something that is against God's will. He will show you something that looks so christian but it's just spiritual he will show something that looks so righteous but it's just religious and by that i mean it looks so close to what god calls of us to do like jesus was quoting scripture this entire time with his encounter with the devil and the devil uses that exact same tactic against him but he misquotes scripture he uses it in the wrong context and how many of us would fall for that like i think for me personally i've fallen for that i'm like yeah the word doesn't say this so i'm gonna do this you know like especially in modern day culture for example like oh the word doesn't talk about um dating some i date however i want but there's our principles of what it looks like to be in marriage that we need to you know build the foundation of in dating you know those are just some of the deductive reasoning skills that we need to adopt when it comes to scripture and the only way we can do it is to read the bible and i think i feel so bad because there's so many christians that have fallen under this i think religious spell religious spirit that has tormented them and they wonder why they're not growing they wonder why they're, they're in bondage is because they aren't reading the word and they aren't you know tapping into the holy spirit not just that sounded really weird then they aren't calling upon the holy spirit to help them because the holy spirit knows the word better than we know the word and he's our comfort and our friend so that means that he is going to intercede on our behalf and he's not going to allow any foreign spirits, including religious spirits and legalism, to overtake us. And we have to invite the Holy Spirit constantly and therefore ask for discernment. Lord, is this from you? God, I need, I need, I need a sign. I need some sort of confirmation. I need 
Confirm this in scripture for me, Lord. Is this really you, Lord? Listen for his voice. Sing still because sometimes when we are praying, we speak and we take up all the take up all the time in that prayer station instead of just listening for the Lord's voice. And I'm guilty of this. There are times I'm just like, oh Lord, listen, this is happening in my life. I don't I don't stay and wait to listen for the Lord's voice. And we need to actually be doing that more because literally the devil will use what we what we have quote unquote perfected as Christians against us, but will make a almost carbon copy that that is void of God to tempt us because he's quoting scripture and also he's using the seed of doubt from the first example. So he is using two things. He's using one of ours, one of Jesus's and one of his. That's why I say it is just a religious spirit. It is a legalistic mindset because those things are void of God. People can be religious. People can be legalistic. Doesn't make them Christian. Doesn't make them Bible-believing Christians. There are people who are religious in other faiths. Religion is not just Christianity. They're all Religion covers every other religion out there. Legalism. Legalism is completely just believing in the law of Moses. Those are God-given laws. But it doesn't... It's not, it's, it's not full of the Spirit. It doesn't allow us to experience mercy. And Paul kind of talks about it in, I believe... Um, Romans 7 or if I'm not mistaken Romans or Galatians if I'm not mistaken it talks about believing in either the the law or the life as a born again believer there are people who believe only in the Old Testament that's where we have a lot of the other a lot of the other faiths including like a lot of the Abrahamic faiths where they believe that in Jesus they believe that there is a figure named Jesus, they don't believe in him though. They don't believe in what he stood for. And being an image bearer of Christ, not just saying, yeah, there is a Jesus out there. There's, there's a person named Jesus. It's believing in who Jesus was, rooting for his character to be placed into us. And I think that's why we need the Holy Spirit because Jesus, before his public ministry, I believe, even in the same book, he was not in the same book. Oh yeah, he's in the same book in chapter two. In chapter three, actually. My mistake. He's baptized and the spirit came on him. It's not to say that Jesus wasn't able to do the things that he did without the spirit or whatever the case is, but it's, it's to show us that we need the Holy Spirit just as Jesus showed us what the Holy Spirit looked like in his life. The Holy Spirit is responsible for our discernment, our unctionings our feelings and all these other even just like being able to be convicted those are holy spirit holy spirit filled attributes and we also can and should bear holy spirit fruit as in galatians 5 verse 22 26 those are things that we should be bearing and we can't know how we are doing without having the holy spirit because the holy spirit gives us his fruit love joy peace patience kindness goodness and self-control imagine doing life without the holy spirit you wouldn't know where you stood and even though christianity is not like a indicator religion like oh if you're doing this then this is the result it's not really like cause and action type of religion but it, it sometimes you do need to know what is happening in your life in order to know what the next steps are like if i for example if i am wanting to be more patient 
I would see how I interact with people. And if in my conversation, in the way I conduct myself, I'm not showing the patience, I'm not showing the the patience in my speech, in my attitude, then I would know that I'm that I need to work on patience. I need the Holy Spirit to bear in me the fruit of patience. You know, it's just as simple as that. If I'm not trusting the Lord, if I have doubts in my head when certain seasons come certain seasons come into my life, then I would know that I'm not bearing the fruit of faithfulness to God. If I am speaking brashly to people and I'm shouting and everything, I'm rough when I'm cooking, whatever, I know I'm not exhibiting the fruit of gentleness. And that's that's the way we should we should think and kind of approach life with the Holy Spirit, how we come out on the other side. And so I'm stressing this a lot because I think when the devil is making carbon or like copies of what we believe in as Christians, the number one way to combat that is obviously quoting scripture and it's also number one to rely on the spirit. The spirit is the was what Jesus left us. So let's invite the spirit in our lives. Let's invite the Holy Spirit into our lives to help us because temptation is real. It literally says in verse in verse 13, he says, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until, next, until the next opportunity came. Meaning that continually, the devil is looking for the next opportunity. He's an opportunist. Like I said, he's, he's a con artist. He's an opportunist. He's someone who, who has been watching people and he said, okay, well, I'm going to keep watching them until the next time when they're in a season where, you know, they aren't, they aren't praying, praying so much. They aren't relying on the spirit. The spirit has, you know, quietened his voice. He's going to strike in there and tempt you. And it might even be a continuous cycle of these things and other things. So we need to constantly be in our A game as Christians. And sometimes we have burnout seasons, stuff like that. I'm not going to dismiss those, but we generally need to constantly go back to God, going back to him constantly. So what this third temptation tells me is that the, the devil will try and make you view your life as your own. And he will approach you in a sense of seeing your body and your life and everything about you as belonging only to you and not to God. And in this example where he's telling him to jump off the cliff, I think in the light of today being Mental Awareness Day, I think sometimes the reason why we have so much like negative negative things negative stuff going on in our heads is because we have listened to the devil for too long the devil comes to kill steal and destroy he will come to personally kill you destroy your happiness and to steal your joy and that includes mentally as well i'm switching up my tone because generally this is something that is so serious when the devil has no use for you anymore, he will try to put you in a dark place, in a dark place that will cause you to think very dark things. And I have personally been there and it is not fun. It is not funny. And I think realizing that our life is not our own helps us to give our lives to Christ. In this age of 
digital narcissism where things are feeding into our narcissism daily feeding into our love for self and all these other things when we see our lives as our own when we are doing what we want do what they will when we are taking shortcuts to success when we are feeding our personal and immediate desires we're contributing to ourselves and we're viewing ourselves as the primary focus when we are unstable people we are uh, we're constantly changing our minds we feel a myriad of emotions and we have a god-sized hole that we're not wired through to sin to to take to god we're not we're not going to god and saying lord fill me up because because of sin we are in sometimes intentionally not going to god and because of that we don't pick up our cross daily because we would rather f- satisfy ourselves that's why jesus spoke in the word he says to lose your life is to gain it and he was speaking about how less of ourselves and more of god less of our lifestyle less of our life like what we have built our life to be and more of god when we are able to think of ourselves less we allow god to be experienced more and the devil will tempt us to he will push us quite literally to the point of self-destruction because he doesn't take human life seriously he doesn't care people who say oh satan is so loving he it's not in his nature to love it's not in his nature god is love and if the devil is the complete opposite of god then the devil is hate he hates us he hates human beings because we are in the image of god he doesn't want anything to do with people who look like the one he hates so therefore he's going to want to destroy those people so i say genuinely go to god when you're feeling in a when you're in a very bad mental space if you're feeling down and you're feeling like this is it you know is there is there nothing more to life than this genuinely please go to god because the devil is actively trying to destroy god's creation because human life is so important to god i don't think people realize that that human life is so important to god that even when people are ending the lives of children he mourns that those are his creations like those are thing those are people that god created you know he took 9 months to create people and the devil wants to destroy that in a moment of time with temptation to do things that are not good for us so i say go to god go to god go to his word consult people pray consult call like genuinely message me if you have to like i re- genuinely want people to go to god because god would never allow his creation to end their lives and to not see their lives as his because god created us to be his So why wouldn't he want why wouldn't he value us? Why wouldn't he want us to see life again? Why wouldn't he want us to see the, the next day? And the devil doesn't care about us like that. So he will do anything in his power to kill, steal and destroy. And that includes the very serious 
thing that I just outlined. So genuinely go to God and really, really, really see yourself as God's masterpiece. As Psalms 8 verse 3 to 5 says, because there are too many people these days that are falling for this and are falling deeper into these emotions and i'm not talking about it in the context oh it's just this these are real things these are real emotions that people are going through but there is a spirit behind them and please hear me when i say this it's not just to be ignorant and be like oh it's just a demon oh it's just the devil i understand it like (laughs) there have been times where i'm like oh this is not the life i want to live i might as well just you know skip you know just not be living anymore I understand it, but genuinely, there are entities that are after your life because they don't want to see you glorify God. They don't want to see you walk in the image of God because they hate God. So I say, go to God and realize that you are his masterpiece. Not in a narcissistic, ego-feeling way, but because he wants to display his love for everyone through you and so moving on jesus jesus says in response that the scriptures also say you must not test the lord your god testing god i think is a form of um dare i say pride like to test the one who doesn't need to be tested is a bit you know egotistical like i i think of it like this like imagine going up to your maths teacher and saying yeah anyway solve this that is a very like egotistical approach to approach your teacher and if we want to get an answer from god testing is not the right way to do it instead of instead we should be asking for discernment to test god Versus to ask is very different. Asking suggests a very humble, curious, and meek way of approaching someone to ask. Like, for example, if I'm asking my parents for something, it's me saying I'm open with the possibility of a no. Or not necessarily because no is always going to be a negative answer. I'm open with the possibility of my aunts or my i'm open to the possibility of the response that i want not being given to me and that's part of humility like sometimes we won't always get what we want and we have to be okay with it now to test god is to say yeah let's see if he really is who he says he is let's see and that to me sums up what what i was trying to say earlier about the devil like to test God is to walk in the footsteps of the devil because testing implies a bit of doubt, you know, implies a bit of like, oh, let's actually see if they actually know what's going on. Because if I'm testing someone, it means it means that I'm trying to be proven wrong, you know, like, oh, let's see if they actually do know all the lyrics to this song. And that is being in in unison walking in unison with the devil because the devil plants seeds of doubt and we might bear seeds of doubt through testing god or attempting to test god so yeah i think 
with that in mind, I think it's time to get into how can we fight back. And I think when it comes to the temptation that we face, I think I mentioned this earlier, we need to quote scripture. And how we quote scripture is by reading the word. We read the word daily and we by reciting scripture and quoting it and reading the word often. Especially not just reading it like, oh, skim reading it and then closing your Bible. Thinking about it, meditating on the scripture allows us to be able to use the word to combat the devil's temptation. And number two, I think, is to remember not to blame God. This is a little bit broad, but I think not blaming God ties into what I, what I spoke about in James 1 because to you know say oh the god tempts us is a kind of like a shifting of blame because it takes away the focus from the devil and puts it onto god instead of actually focusing the devil and seeing that he's the one that's causing all of this you know so i wanted to read from job one because this is a very prime example of what it looks like not to blame god if you're not familiar with job 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 i like to call him job because job is like, it sounds a little bit insane to me that somebody was was named Job, like a job. But anyway, Job was um, this righteous man who prayed for his kids, who were kind of like, I would say, I would, I think they were like how kids are with parents that pray, and those kids don't go to church. Like I'm, I'm, I was one of them. Like kids who live through secondhand Jesus. That's how I picture these kids that job had and he would pray and you know perform sacrifices for them because of their wayward lifestyle and so he had these kids and everything and he was this very righteous man he could do no wrong and one day the devil goes up into heaven not into heaven i guess in the spiritual realm in the righteous spiritual realm he was like yeah um, I've been looking around, looking for my next victim, basically. And then God was like, have you seen my man, Job? He can never do anything wrong. He's so righteous. And the devil says, that's because you've never tested him. He's never, he's never gone through anything for you to, for him to, to, to prove otherwise, you know? And then God says, okay, let's see. You can do anything to him, but don't harm his body. Like don't take his life. You can do anything. And we'll see if he really is righteous. And then Basically the, basically, the devil goes crazy. One night, boom, his cattle's gone. His family, gone. His house, gone. Like, imagine, like, in one night, messages after messages, like, as one is speaking, another one is coming with bad news, another one is coming with bad news. And what does Job do? Job 1, verse 20 to 22. He says, Job... Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. Huh? He fell to his ground to swear at God. No, he fell to the ground to worship. Verse 22, he said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord has given me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In verse 22, in all this, Job did not sin by blaming God. That is so powerful to me because it's such a countercultural way of living. And as Christians, we are countercultural. Not in a free thinker, conspiracy theorist way, in the way Jesus was. Like I mentioned earlier about Jesus doing unconventional things. We are unconventional in nature. So Job was exercising this before Jesus came, and that's what made him righteous. 
instead of breaking down and going on a drinking binge or scoring on our phones guilty, he worshipped God. He saw himself as less than, you know, some people in those situations where you have all the money in the world, you can think of all these cattle, all this abundance in life would become so prideful and thinking, yeah, I got that. It was me. I had the grind. I had all these other things. When in actual fact, God gives, he says here in verse 22, the Lord has gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. He knew that God gave it to him. So he was humble when he was living in this life of abundance. How many of us would be like, yeah, like I said, we we grinded. We 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 started from the bottom. Now we're here. Not to quote Drake, um, but I think that is so powerful because because of his view of God in his life and what God was capable he capable of. He was able to go back to God and worship Him because he saw God as bigger than himself. Not just in a oh. God is bigger than the mountains type of thing. But God is bigger than your success. God is bigger than your abundance. Because he is above those things. He has riches and glory that we cannot measure. And I'm not talking from a, oh, he's going to give it to you. He will. He will. But just sitting that he has more than we can even think of. So he doesn't need that. And we are getting prideful over these little things on earth. He has more than that. So we should be able to be humble enough to realize that God is more powerful, more influential, more successful than any any person in the world. And Job knew that and he worshipped him still. He knew that God was above those things and he worshipped him. And also, he, it didn't mean that he was stoic and, you know, just this robotic person, he still grieved. He says that he tore up his robe and shaved his head. That is the ultimate side, s- sign of mourning. Like, if you're not familiar with Old Testament, even just, like, Bible, like, ways of mourning and stuff like that, this is, like, the ultimate sign of, like, I'm going through it. I have lost something. Someone is dead. Something is gone in my life. Is to tear to- ter- ter- uh, ter up your garment and shave your head like that is completely going through even like in today's culture if i had to see someone tearing up their clothes and shaving their head i'll be like oh that's that's really that's really you going through it and the same applies here so don't let your emotion stop you from worshiping god you know experience them but in a righteous way i have an episode on how to mourn righteously. And if you are confused by that, I have an episode, please check it out. It was posted, I think, two, three months ago or even four months ago now. Please check it out if you want to learn more about that. Self-plug. But anyway, and also, he it's literally stated here that in all this, Job do not blame, do not sin by blaming God. Meaning that blaming God is a sin because God is righteous. Like going back to James 1, he doesn't do tempting to accuse God of being someone that he's not, is sin. So even when we're going through stuff, we should be careful not to sin because technically our emotions can cause us to sin and also the devil would have won anyway because he wants us to go against God so bad that even if things don't go as he particularly planned, as long as we have gone against him, he's happy. So 
be very careful with the way you deal with your with your emotions and your temptations and just the season of going through it, I guess, because the devil might be happy in the midst of that because of the way in which you go through it and how you articulate yourself in mourning or in heartbreak or in a season where you're feeling like in very bad spiritual warfare. So yeah, I think that's very important to highlight. It's very, I think, detailed, but I think I wanted to spend more time on it because I think it, spe- it speaks to us, especially in this in this age of like feeling our emotions and how we feel our emotions. I feel like sometimes we approach them with a very egotistical, um, prideful way. Like, yeah, no, I have a right to feel this way. Yeah, you do. But according to the word, there's a way of doing that that can be sinful. So be careful in mourning with God, not mourning at God or blaming him and invite him in. Like some practical ways of mourning with God is to pray. Prayer is so powerful. Like pray and tears are prayers. Like if you're going through it to the point of tears, the word says that God collects our tears. Those are prayers. Those are silent prayers. And if you can't speak, even if you're just crying, the Holy Spirit is basically being an interpreter. He is, he is going, for going before us and saying, "This is what she's feeling." He's 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 being our representative to God. That is so powerful. That only happens if we're going to God with a humble spirit and saying, "Lord, I don't know what's going on. Help me." And that can be in the form of words, in tears, in moans and groans the holy spirit has got us that's why i spoke about the holy spirit so intensely because he is so crucial to how in which we deal with the things that we're going through so yeah and my final little tip is to know that temptation is inevitable like going back to james 1 it happens temptation is going to happen like in the end of um luke 4 verse luke 4 in that little portion it says in verse 13 he left him alone until the next opportunity came it will happen we won't just go through one big temptation and it's going to be over the devil is constantly going to tempt us it might even be the little temptations that were highlighted in verse one it might even be the temptation that we highlighted in verse three to nine but it's gonna happen regardless and i'm not going to, i'm not trying to sound like a debbie downer but i'm trying to kind of say be on guard constantly and be watchful and pray and a good way to kind of get into that mindset is to read um ephesians 6 ephesians 6 verse 10 to 18 paul goes in ham and i think it's really interesting when you read it with a lot of commentary i suggest um enduring word if i'm not mistaken going to understand why Paul was saying what he was saying. He was talking, he talks about guarding your heart and not guarding your heart. He talks about being on God, putting on the form of God and knowing that there's a spiritual realm out there. He starts off that portion of chapter six by telling us about what is happening, the spiritual realm. And I say that because we think that this life is like a playing field where what we're seeing is what we're getting only but there's so much happening behind the scenes that even just giving a little bit of context that is in Ephesians 6, that portion verse 10 to 18 helps us understand that, hey, we're not just fighting against flesh and blood. We're, f- we're, fi- we're fighting against spiritual entities in the unseen world. 
we're not going to face the devil in the face, most of us. We might just be dealing with temptation that, ha- that happens in our mind, temptation that happens in situation. And I, like I said, I recommend that portion of scripture because it helps us remember that this is not just a person-to-person thing. This is happening in the spiritual realm, and it, it can sometimes even manifest in the physical. So, yeah, I think realizing that temptation is 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 inevitable and everything that I've just said is important because life is genuinely spiritual and we need to be, we need to have the right tools to fight back and we need to have the right equipment and just, we need to have the right heart posture in order to be able to fight back adequately. And we won't always get it right, but there's still grace, there's still God, not there's still God, there's God and he gives us grace and mercy. So, you know, life and this um, journey as a Christian is not always linear. It's a constant trial and error, I guess. And sometimes we we succeed, sometimes we stumble. But as long as we're not giving up and we're not using that grace and mercy that God gives us as a form of being lazy spiritually or taking advantage of God then we're on the right track. So all this to say as well that in this last point that I made about temptation being inevitable, don't take yourself too seriously. Like, I know that this is a very spiritual and serious topic, but don't take yourself too seriously to the point of being religious and being legalistic. Like, like oh, I can't do this, otherwise I'm going to I'm going to die type of mindset. Take yourself, take yourself out of the equation essentially and let God lead. So yeah, this has been a long enough episode. It is going to be an hour long. I really do suggest listening to this in a like in a in a relaxed setting. Thank you so much for making it this far. If you've listened to me talk and talk and talk, this is an episode I've been thinking and brewing on. I've tried to record it so many times, it has failed. So I know it's going to touch someone, even if it's just one person. I am happy that someone le- has learned a little something about temptation. So yeah, thank you so much for listening. I love you and most importantly, the Lord loves you. Bye. As you may or may not know, Christians are being persecuted in other countries on a daily basis. So I believe it's up to us Christians, fellow believers in Christ, to support them either financially or spiritually. So would you please, please, please click the link in my bio under persecuted Christians, support them financially and join me in prayer either five minutes, two minutes a day just to pray for them and pray for their strength and their courage to continue worshipping God and to continue following Jesus. Thank you.